0: Welcome to the wet podcast episode 49 Welcome to the wet podcast I am Eric Marshall your host and this is episode forty-nine of Writing Education and Technology. Uh, thanks for listening in. This is the first episode I've dropped in a little while. I had a little bit of a hiatus there, so hopefully you're happy to see the uh, podcast pop up in your in your reader in your podcast feed. Today's guest is. Dr. Robert Skiff, president and founder of Oplerno, which is an online global educational institution. Uh, this is not a online college in the way that you probably think of them already. Um, most of the online colleges you hear of are meant to replicate uh, college in a certain way while uh, mostly scamming the students and underpaying the instructors uh, to a large extent. So, uh, Oplano is not that. Oplano is actually a global educational site that is meant to really radically transform higher education. I've talked to Dr. Skiff a few times before this podcast, and every time I talk to him, I get fired up. I get really excited because his idea is... uh, nothing short of revolution. He really wants to change the very broken system of higher ed, uh, especially in North America, but uh, I think also globally. And his idea is to give students a maximum amount of choice and uh, voice in what they learn and to give faculty uh, complete control over the creation um, content and ownership of their courses, which means that the faculty own the courses they create, but also get paid, (laughs) this is very important, get paid uh, the majority of the tuition that comes in. Uh, So there's a lot of uh, control on on both sides uh, without a lot of administrative, um, Oh, how should I put this, I used the word greed in the in the interview so maybe that's a good way to put it. So I think you'll be very excited to to listen to this interview if you are a teacher or a student uh, or just somebody interested in in education. Yeah, and Rob's uh, dissertation is uh, available Online, Uh, he's going to be selling it on Amazon for, I think it's 3 bucks, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, Anything we mention in the podcast, you can find in the show notes at thewetpodcast.com. That's thewetpodcast.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Emarsh, if you want to uh, interact with me there. I have a feeling that people will want to give feedback on this episode. Uh, It's pretty... Incendiary in certain ways, and I think uh, you know some of it might be uh, a bit controversial, maybe um, on the other hand, with my audience, you guys he uh, might be preaching to the choir i don 't know, but you can you can put comments on thewetpodcast.com as well, and I also put rob 's contact information up there for you too. One thing about the audio on this you 're going to hear my cat a lot in this episode Uh, we had been away for a while and the cat was being very needy so you'll uh, you'll hear hear a little meow once in a while uh, in the the actual recording so uh, if you if you're listening at home and you think it's your cat it's probably not it's probably my cat so thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time Uh, this is going to be Dr. Robert Skiff and me talking about higher education I have with
1: me today Dr. Robert Skiff. Uh, do you go by Robert or Rob? Rob's fine, or um okay. a lot of my friends also call me just Skiff.
0: Skiff, okay. Um, and you, uh, you just recently defended your dissertation.
1: Yes, I did. I defended um, the, a dissertation on the challenges of building an open learning organization in higher education. So it was basically the story of. Uh, a little bit of graduate school and the problems that I was seeing adjunct faculty, contingent faculty have and students and then um, how those uh, crises and the issues that I was having there um, made it uh, really important for me to start a Plano and and, and really looking at um, higher education again from the ground up and redesigning a lot of the systems that we have and that we use for teaching Um, classes, for interacting with students, and also to, um, you know, lower costs for students, but increase the pay for uh, adjunct faculty. Yeah, it's it's sort uh, of a tell-all slash (laughs) business plan slash, um, uh, you know, there's some computer modeling in it, but it's written in a form of uh, scholarly personal narrative, which is kind of an offshoot of... um, Uh, sort of, uh, academic, uh, sorry, anthropological field work. I'm a little bit fried after, uh, defending it and then going through the, you know, the, the edits and then the format check and all of that.
0: I definitely understand that. <laughs> I uh, remember defending my dissertation in 2010, and and the formatting alone well, took uh, hell, okay, at least a week, and yep. it was and all the paperwork and everything, and not to mention the defense itself. Uh, yeah, that was uh, it was a traumatic experience.
1: For yeah, sure. it, it's really interesting that you know uh, Foucault writes about you know discipline and punishment, and you know while uh, Bourdieu with his um, Homo Academicus terms of how the the methods that we go through uh um, evaluating people's learning is uh, really a, a regime of um you know oversight discipline punishment and and run by a very small cadre of, of people and some of this stuff is very much i don't know i would call it sort of like mother may i um you know some of these rules that they have um are just flat out you know foolish and and the the nitpickiness, which just is designed almost to 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 uh, teach a doctoral student or a scholar um, behave yourself, uh, you know, stick within the lines, um, follow what your mentors and your uh, um, your bosses tell you to do and tell you to research. And the you know the dissertation is really a um, uh, the dissertation that I wrote really kind of walks through that you know, culturally at, at, a you know, at the university of Vermont and the college of education and social services and experiences I had there. Um, but also examining how those experiences are really preventing, um, you know, uh, learning from happening. And also, you know, the outreach that, that should happen at a university to everyone on the planet, um, to the communities that these universities are part of instead of just, you know, small elites writing, um, you know, journals and doing "quote unquote" you know academic research.
0: Yeah, I found that you know when I when I was uh, I was kind of tempted into grad school because I liked the idea of not having a boss and of being able to choose my own uh, research and my own type of writing and uh, kind of the freedom there uh, on the research side, um, as well as in some cases on the teaching side. And I and I found through my uh, my long grad school experience that that was not the case at all in fact it's a very normative experience and you're um like you say you're very much uh encouraged or even forced to write in a very specific style um about very specific things sometimes um and and what and how you teach can be also very, um, monitored in a, in very indirect ways, but the, yeah, the, the, the forces that, um, you know, forces align in very indirect and kind of not obvious ways, but it, it, it does prevent, um, Creativity in a lot of, in, in a large sense and uh, you know in teaching and in research, so yeah that was a lesson I learned uh, to an extent and you 're trying to change that and you know, I should probably just back up a little bit um, and kind of tell the audience that um, you know i think i I think my introduction to you came from Scott Rank of the Scholarpreneur. Podcast, uh, he interviewed you and uh, put me in touch with you, and we, were, you and I, have been in touch about Oplerno, the uh, the online uh, education site that you started. I'm not sure exactly what you call it, but um, and that's how you're trying to, I think, kind of change the way things work,
1: right? Yeah, um, uh, Oplerno stands for Open Learning Organization, and so mm-hmm. it's a redesign of higher ed from the ground up. And so in with the Plarno, what we do is um, we put teachers and students back in the center of things in terms of control and choice. So let's talk a little bit about our faculty. Faculty own all of the IP they create on the with us. We actually sign a contract with faculty and, and sign over all of the courses that they develop on our platform and make it their property. And they're free to take that once they develop it they could take it to another institution or another organization. but it's really important to make sure that the content creators are the ones that receive the um, profit from what they produce. And faculty also set their cost per student. So a faculty member can charge, you know we think for a three credit class between 500 and fifteen hundred dollars for a three credit course is a reasonable rate of pay. And they receive at least 80% of that revenue um, that they generate per student. And what that does is that, that increases the quality of the courses that are offered with us. um, Because the, instead of uh, if you're an adjunct, you know that your courses that you're assigned can be taken away from you at any time by an administrator or reassigned in another semester. You also know you have no choice in terms of um, sometimes with class sizes and you have no choice about, uh, you know, when you're going to teach Well, with a player. Now, you know, we limit the classes. They have to be less than 25 students um, and you can teach it. uh, You just have to teach it in 12 consecutive weeks. And so what that does is that, you know, again, it gives the faculty the maximum amount of um, autonomy and control over what they're teaching and what they're being paid and they can earn a lot more money, um, for a course. And because you incentivize people to produce high quality classes, uh, you're going to get, you know, better classes and better pedagogy. And that means that on the student side, we can offer courses that, that are dramatically cheaper than, um, you know, most, uh, higher ed institutions in the country. And you can search, for exactly what you want to learn. And you can also examine the professor before you decide to pay for the class. And what I mean by examining the professor is you can take a look at their resume. You can take a look at their LinkedIn profile. You can even, if the professor's, you know, provided a, you know, a sample of a guest lecture or something like that, you can see how they teach. And as a plano grows and we have more students taking our classes, we're going to attach um, student reviews to those professors and those reviews aren't anonymous those reviews will have your name on it so it it you know when you go to a university i've had great teachers um as a student i've had great teachers i've had some teachers who absolutely were horrible um you know were teaching you know theory that was you know 20 30 years old um uh, you know th- who well you know were just arrogant um uh, disconnected and were really excited to teach, um, you know, five or six people because they didn't feel they had to work very hard to do it. And right now in the current higher education system, there really are no feedbacks or incentives to get rid of that. You don't really know what you're buying when you're, when you're taking a class with someone. Okay. You really don't know what you're going to get involved in. We want to make that process more transparent by providing students with a lot of information about the class, including, you know, exactly what, including a list of, you know, five to 10 skills and educational outcomes in that class. What am I actually going to be learning? Um, and, and so by creating a system where the students can search out the exact teachers that they can want, that they want to learn from and the subjects that they want, um, the, t- the faculty are going to be half, are going to have to be much more responsive to student needs, but more importantly, they're just going to be better teachers, okay? And they're going to be interested. You know, a great teacher is someone who's passionate about their subject that they're teaching, who loves it. Who you know, I mean, uh, who who the teaching is is play. It's something they love, uh, and I think that this system has the best chance to sort of incentivize that um, that kind of you know that relationship. Place teachers and students back in the center of things, not the institutions and the administrations and the tenured faculty in the center that that really doesn't work and is what is creating a lot of problems for us as a society and as um as you know faculty
0: yeah i i'm i'm with you on that for sure i think there is a there's a we're in an interesting time because i think that like my mentor at wayne state was a guy who, really great scholar, good teacher. He was my teacher as an undergrad, wonderful guy. But he he finished his dissertation at a time where um, it was relatively easy to get a tenure-track position. Um, you would get hired without having finished your dissertation. You can finish it on the job, you know, things like that. And I think that was kind of um, the norm almost. Uh, but somewhere between then... And now we've got this, uh, some people call it a glut of PhDs. I don't think it's a glut of PhDs. I think it's, uh, um, I think it's, a lot of it's greed and a lot of it's, you know. know, know, (laughs) uh,
1: Yeah, I think it's a glut of high-priced institutions, to be honest. Yeah, Um, right, exactly. And the fact is, um, the fact is that we could, all the PhDs right now, could go out and be teaching there are 2 billion people on the planet who want access to higher education that don't have it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. we need to it, reach it, those people mm-hmm. and, um, the current system isn't about that at all. It's, it's really centered around institutional privilege and, you know, extracting the, the maximum amount of money from students. And that needs to end. And to be honest, you know, tenure has gone. I mean, it's dead. It's being propped up by subsidized student loans. And, you know, it's not going to be around, you know, we all know it's, it's pretty much finished because most institutions are using adjunct faculty to teach anyway. Right. So why are we trying to prop up the tenure system when the tenure system for 90% of us or more, doesn't even exist because um, it, cause it doesn't. And why are we aspiring to become, you know, the Johns Donahue professor of, you know, some obscure subject, <laughs> you know, with a ten- right. chair um, given to us by, you know, ExxonMobil or the Rockefeller <laughs> Brothers Fund. Um, right. it, you know, I mean, it's ridiculous.
0: Yeah. I Well, I mean, the idea of tenure is to preserve academic freedom, but it doesn't even do that anymore. Nope. Um, I don't think so. I mean, you look at what's going on in Wisconsin, and you know everybody is watching Wisconsin. Uh, everybody meaning administrators, um, states that want to cut funding for, for universities, and they're looking at what Scott Walker is doing, and they're saying, oh, we can tear down the tenure system, tear down pay, tear down job security, uh, you know, in the same way, it's it's going to be it's, you know, as Wisconsin goes, I think the rest of the country is going, you know, they're just at the at the forefront of it to a large extent. Um, but then, you know, as Eric, an adjunct,
1: let me let yeah. me toss this in, Eric, mm-hmm. tenure has gone anyway. I mean, the Wisconsin is the Wisconsin issues that are coming up with faculty pay or tenure. I mean, th- that's the Wisconsin system. Okay. And that's mm-hmm. only a, a set of, of institutions within Wisconsin. And maybe, maybe, maybe it makes up like 10 or 20% of the people who are actually working there. Um, right. we're, we're spending our time, you know, debating about tenure when, you know, uh, that's sort of like mainstream media spinning. The reality is it's <laughs> gone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what we have to be thinking about is how can we generate a, you know, we need to preserve academic freedom. Um, you know, a Plano, for example, has a really, uh, since you own your content, and I am a really big proponent of academic freedom, where the only thing you can't teach about at a Plano, the only thing you can't do is advocate for genocide of another group. That's okay. it. Um, that's the only line we draw. We have to have freedom, but we don't have freedom anymore at our universities. Okay. Right. We've got. What, on one side, on the, the right, will charge that there's political correctness, okay, at the universities. The left will charge that there is, um, you know, neo-fascist, you know, free market capitalism and all of that. I mean, it's, <laughs> right. it's gone. Um, and so the only places where it's going to exist are places that are new spaces, um, generally online, uh, where people can organize their own learning communities and their own open learning organizations and start carving out space um, for that type of freedom to exist because it's gone in large yeah. measure.
0: Yeah. And what it's being replaced with is, as we know, and I think a lot of my listeners know as well is is adjunct faculty who get paid. Uh, you know, the, the idea is like, as you said earlier, take as much from the students as possible. And the other side of it is, is pay the instructors as little as possible. Yep. So you have students paying more and more and more. I mean, it's it, the, the price has skyrocketed and teachers getting paid less and less. And that's, um, and then you have people like you and me in the middle who, uh, who graduated with PhDs in the system going, yeah, I'm going to do this thing. And then yeah, it doesn't exist anymore. And what am I going to do? And what do I, right. And, uh, I think that's, um, that's a huge problem, but it's also a huge opportunity because I think, you know, you, you have students who want lower tuition and want to be able to learn what they want to learn. And you have instructors who want to teach what they want to teach and actually get compensated for it at a, at a fair level. And I think well, that's there, where you come in.
1: Yeah. The, the writing's been on the wall for the past, um, in terms of the change in the academic labor market for the past 20 years, because we're still right. delivering, you know, it centers around how do you deliver a class? Okay. How do you teach a class? And, you know, 20 years ago, the internet was just starting up and, and, you know, there were some interesting ideas. Um, a guy named Mark Taylor and Asa, I never pronounce his name right. Sariman wrote a book called, um, I forget it. Two professors, one at Williams and then one in a university in, in Sweden created the first sort of like interactive class, uh, where they were using video and audio to teach mm-hmm. a class in, across two different continents. And you know when I first heard about that, I was like, "Wow, that's amazing, you know and knowing Moore's Law and we were going to make things smaller, hey, you know the the hierarchies of these institutions are going to be under threat. Um, unfortunately, it's just taken a long time for the cost pressures, the costs, and the inefficiencies of our current system to sort of appear, and really they're only being propped up now by you know, in the U S by federal subsidized student loans in Europe, they're being mm-hmm. propped up by, you know, the state support. What's really interesting is, you know, when you take a look at the proposals of, you know, Bernie Sanders, who's my Senator and who, you know, I like, um, and who I've seen, you know, downtown, um, you know, Burlington all the time. He's a good guy. He's, his answer is, well, we're just going to, you know, prop up these in these large institutions and make it free. Well, that's not really going to solve the cost problem. Um, Mm -hmm. You're kind of like pushing the cost to another place in Europe, you know, that they're not going to be able to um, keep spending on these inefficient institutions, which don't do a particularly good job and, and don't reach, you know, the majority of the population. We don't need fewer people involved in higher ed. We need to make it so that everyone's involved in learning. Everybody's, you know, everybody knows how to write, everybody knows how to read, everybody knows how to do math, everybody, you know, is specializing in a particular field, uh, that we have more um, humanities courses, okay, more courses in, you know, Javanese literature, more courses <laughs> in Sanskrit, more courses in mm. Shakespeare, um, that we've got everybody, you know, tapping into the rich cultural heritage of, of the planet and of all the different places on it, rather than you know watching Honey Boo Boo and you know the latest episode of The Bachelor, right? But you know, as George Carlin said, okay, and then the wise philosopher he is, I mean, like you know, a lot of people don't want humanity to be humanity to be smarter. Okay, there's a vested interest in keeping us ignorant and keeping us disengaged. And, you know, education is really the front line to fight that and making sure that you know, more people have access to higher ed is critical if you're going to do that. And I don't see the universities and the colleges, you know, really doing the kinds of things that they need to um, mass, to, to get everybody involved in. It.
0: Yeah, I am with you on that. Let me ask you more of i um, I don't know if it's a logistical question, um, but uh, you know, I teach film and uh, I, I love my topic and I love teaching it. Uh, I'm very passionate about it. And I I walk into a class on day one and I've got 30, 40 students. Um, and of those 30, 40 students, I've got maybe two, three, maybe half a dozen that are really passionate about film as well and really want to learn about it. The majority of them are there because it's a requirement. Uh, for some humanities requirement that they need to in order to get their, uh, their associates or their bachelor's degree, whatever they're going for. Right. Um, so a lot of them are there for requirements. They're there because they have to be there. Okay. And that's true in art and it's true in literature and it's true in your chemistry classes and whatever else. Right. That's how, that's how universities have worked for a very long time. Um, so with, uh, with something like Oplerno, um, um, are you are you trying to attract the students who are going for a traditional associate's or bachelor's degree um, who have to do these things? Or are you trying to attract kind of uh, autodidacts or people who want to put together different types of programs and who are the more passionate people who want to learn about Javanese literature or whatever it might be? Uh, both.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because what, what, we've, what we've done is we've developed kind of a, a model where you know universities are designed residential universities are designed for people between 18 and 23 years old okay mm-hmm. go to go to the school you know you and and now they're starting to compete in terms of how luxurious their living situations are yep okay <laughs> rather than concentrating on what they should be doing which is well let's really engage students in learning and in solving problems in their communities so mm-hmm. the those kids you know you take those young people 15 people are really engaging in the class. The other 35, you know, my suspicion is you're a very good teacher. Okay. And film is a wonderful way to learn, but there need to be more options for people. Each one of those kids who's disengaged, each one of those young people who's disengaged, they're passionate about something. Okay. Yeah. The question is how do you, you know, take that passion and then channel it into, uh, learning and education and learning for learning's sake. I I had a student, one of my best students that I ever taught, um, when I was, uh, teaching secondary school came in and he was just uh, a bit of a troublemaker, but he really liked computer games. Mm. And, um, I was teaching social science and, and got him into, uh, doing computer modeling of, you know, uh, civilizations and complex systems. This was a seventh grader. And showed him that the games that he was playing, having him pick apart the the structures and the rules and the logic. And, you know, he is a great, you know, philosopher. And i mm-hmm. um, interested in all kinds of things with math and science. You know, if, if someone's, if some person is just interested in baseball, okay, well, you can, you know, and, and uh, how teams are scoring. Well, get them into, um, uh, you know, the statistics, And show them how much math enriches baseball. And then from their, you know, interest in baseball, switching to math, they may get involved in, you know, modeling complex systems, which is kind of like baseball. If you're interested in, you know, uh, literature, sorry. If you're interested in, um, you know, television, okay? Well, television spins off into literary studies. Um, It'll spin off into – you know, classical philosophy, whether you're talking about the Greeks, the Chinese, or the, or Indian philosophy, Mm -hmm. or the, or, you know, Zoroastrianism or the great African um, uh, cultures and such, you just have to find the hook and then show them that there's a rich tradition that they can tap into. And then Mm -hmm. finally you have to show them that all traditions as a human being, all the traditions that are on this planet are yours if you want to engage them. And that's the kind of renaissance that I, that, that needs to happen. And that only happens when you have a lot of people who are passionate about their subject teaching a lot of different kinds of classes and opening things up and creating maximum amount of choice. So an individual can weave their way through an education, kind of like Paulo Ferreri or uh, John mm-hmm. Dewey talked about.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think you and I are both big fans of Frere and, uh, and bell hooks and and this idea of, you know, kind of turning things inside out almost, you know, where the, where the students can be the teachers and the, and then what you're doing actually applies to the outside world. You know, there, there is no inside and outside, right. To, to a large extent, there shouldn't be. Um, but with, um, you know, with uh, going back to the the example of the traditional university, um, you know, a lot of these kids who are in my film classes, the ones that are not passionate when they come in, some of them end up being passionate when they leave, which is great, right? Because you find that hook for some of them at least. Um, but you know, the reason they're there is because they want the piece of paper that says, you know, I I I'm employable. You know, that's that's why. Not all of them, but a lot of them, right? Um, so. How do you – how should I put this? So if you have people like that who uh, who want an alternative to their expensive uh, regional university, uh, can, uh, can plano offer that or offer part of that uh, to kind of get them there if they're more kind of utilitarian about the
1: whole thing? Sure. They can um, – you know, we're trying to expand our partnership with other uh, four-year institutions and other institutions of higher learning. We've got a an agreement with Burlington College, which is uh local in our area. We're working, you know, I had a great conversation with a group of people in Pakistan um this week about doing some outreach to the universities there. Um these you know creating alliances and and relationships with other universities isn't going to be that hard the more students we attract. Um and it's kind of you then have to advise the students about that. Now Let's talk about jobs for a second to be perfect. Let's be blunt (laughs) about where we are in terms of 2016. And the fact is that higher education has generally educated it's product us for a world that no longer exists. Mm -hmm. Okay. Most of the people we're going to be spending a lot of time, uh, people developing their own jobs. You know, corporations are going to hire different people, but this, you know, we're in a really tough economic time where if you want economic security, you're going to have to create your own gig. Now in the U S you've got, you know, structural changes that are happening in terms of manufacturing jobs and service jobs and, and, you know, different people trying to produce new businesses in the, um, in the world outside, um, you know, North America, Europe, Japan, and, you know, big chunks of China and India, um, the Gulf, et cetera. Uh, what people need are um, skills and education that allows them to have agency in their own lives to solve their own problems. Um, for the North American market, you're still going to need a degree, but it depends on the discipline you're working with. A bunch of disciplines are kind of starting to abandon the idea that a degree really matters. Okay. Yeah. For example, computer programming, uh, mm-hmm. graphics design. And, um, you know, if, so how much of that is going to spill over to other things? Okay. I'm not sure. But I do know that the aspiration to go to Harvard, Yale, or the Ivies, I'm, you know, there are really bright people there. But, but I'm not sure whether they're going to have the type of impact for the average person okay that is going to be that dramatic in terms of education you know harvard's not going to educate another you know million people a year they're going to try to do it through the MOOCs, but those aren't generally very effective Mm -hmm. um we've got to look at getting more people more knowledge and more skills so that they can solve the problems in their lives degrees you know, uh, I went to a fancy. You know, okay, cards on the table. I went to Middlebury College as an undergraduate. Wonderful school. When I look back, yes, it was a great liberal arts education, but its value was the social network that I became a part of. Oh, okay? sure. I have met people and worked with people all over the planet, and while I love my classmates at Middlebury, um, there is nothing special in terms of about their intellect or skill that I can point to that I haven't met with people who didn't go to, didn't go to those kinds of schools. The same thing goes with the Ivies. I think top 1% or two or 5% of the institutions in this country are selling a brand and a social network, kind of like selling a, a fancy car. Okay. Mm-hmm. A Maybach or a um, Maserati. Okay. If your point is to get from a, if the, if your job is to get from point a to point B, Almost any good car will do. You don't need to buy the fancy one. You buy the <laughs> right. fancy one to show off that you have a certain political or economic capital. The fancy ones uh-huh. don't – does not mean that those people are any smarter. Okay? Because they're not. I've met people – I know people from Harvard, MIT, Middlebury, Williams, Berkeley, who can't think themselves out of a paper bag. Okay? And I've mm-hmm. met people who went to schools – Um, you know, Colorado school of mines or local community colleges who could, would blow those people away. And so what really is then their value? Okay. What are we really selling and aspiring to? Um, and, and I'm not sure that their value proposition means much anymore, other than to the people in that social class who, you know, it's important to collect the ribbons and, um, you know, be Mm -hmm. part of the posh clubs. Um, and that's certainly part of the elite ruling structure in this country, but enough's enough. I'm done with it. I'm sick of this. Yeah, And so is, you know, all the people supporting Bernie in this country are sick of it. Mm-hmm. And all the people supporting yep. Trump are sick of it too.
0: That's true. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like, I mean, you're not just, you're not trying to offer an alternative... Uh, to universities that is kind of the same thing, but online. You're you're trying to to kind of fundamentally change the way education works, higher education yes. works, uh, which which is uh, you know a pretty a pretty lofty goal for sure. But it's a lot different, and I think we, you've kind of already answered what my next question was going to be because you mentioned MOOCs earlier, and but I know like, that I a lot of people go, have I, this
1: question. I, like, I want to interrupt and go back mm-hmm. though and say that you know, and, and challenge you in terms of a lofty goal. Okay. The system mm-hmm. is okay, completely sure. yeah. busted. Okay. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't work anymore. It's being subsidized by fiat currency. That's not going to be available forever. Okay. In other words, these subsidized student loans. Um, it is exploitive. It, it exploits adjunct faculty and it exploits families that are putting out all this money to go to these schools. The system is busted and it's falling apart. I don't think it's a lofty goal. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pragmatist when it comes to philosophy, but I'm going to call out when the emperor has no clothes. And I think, <laughs> I think if we do our job right, and we're patient, and we get traction, and we, do, we, we remain ethical, that we're going to do a lot of good for people, and we're also going to make a very good living for ourselves and for the, our faculty. And, you know, okay. that's not lofty. That's just, in my opinion, social justice.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, but the the question I know a lot of people are going to ask, and I, I think you've already answered it. Um, but you know, we, we've heard of MOOCs, uh, massively open online. Whatever the uh, classes, right? <laughs> yep. courses that are that are run uh, generally by by big universities. MIT has a bunch. Um, I believe Harvard does as well, et cetera, et cetera. Um, MOOCs, and we have all heard of um, these uh, kind of online colleges, many of which are fraudulent have turned out to be completely scammed yep. yeah, complete scams fraudulent. Um, so I know when people think online learning, their minds go to MOOCs into these, uh, you know, Phoenix kind of places or places that, you know, just kind of run up a bunch of student loan debt uh, for people and then fold or, or whatever it might be. Um, and I guess the question is, how do you, you know, how is Oplano different? I think you've kind of already answered that, but do you have kind of a like a, a nutshell kind of way to answer well, the, that?
1: The MOOCs and all the stuff, the MOOCs and the online universities were essentially trying to, they were using the philosophy of Taylor, of mass production in terms of their education, how many people can we fit? Can we turn into a, you know, the, the square peg in the square hole? Okay. Um, the the stuff that MIT and Harvard do just to talk about the MOOCs is really, really interesting. And and a lot of it is, you know, high quality, but human beings learn best from other human beings in small groups. And that's not going to change, especially for things that are quite complex and specialized. Um, the MOOCs are great for the introductory courses and for, you know, a general knowledge, but you do need mm-hmm. to develop a mentor and you do need to have someone who is an expert to answer your questions and you do need to develop a community of learning. So I, I see MOOCs as sort of the first generation. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. a, a plan yeah. is kind yeah, of yeah. the second generation and that what we're doing is we're realizing things have to be small, um, small classes, uh, learning objectives, uh, skills based and you have to make the faculty own the content. Um, there are a lot of hidden costs with MOOCs that we could get into at another time in terms of what they charge in the universities, like what Coursera charges a university to run a class. It's in the hundreds of thousands Mm -hmm. of dollars. Um, and that, and they also were data mining the students in terms of their information, their expertise. So there's all kinds of hidden things that we don't talk about when we see this notion of free. There's number there isn't a thing called free. Someone is always paying for it. Okay? It doesn't <laughs> exist. Now, yeah. the the online universities what they did is they took the kind of the correspondence course model, okay? And I think initially they they were very interested in, you know, being um, you know, innovators and good with with education and and ethical. But unfortunately, what they started to do is the same thing that the universities are doing right now. How many students can we get in a class? How can we standardize the interactions? And then how can we jack up the prices? I mean, that's that's what's happening with universities are working with, you know, Pearson's, for example. Um, Pearson's produces content. And Arizona mm-hmm. State University, you know, the, the darling of, you know, one of the darlings of online education, along with Um, Southern New Hampshire, I'm not sure if they use as much Pearson's as, um, Arizona state, but you know, they, they produce this content, they get as many faculty involved in a class. I mean, sorry, as many students involved in a class and humans can't, you know, teaching online, you really can only do a great job if the class is under 25. Um, we may even lower the number because I, you know, I've taught online and I think you really can only have that interaction with 15. And and in the quest for making more and more money and tailorizing things and the desire they have to own the content and control, control, control um, and standardize in this old manufacturing model, they just absolutely became unethical, expensive and l- low quality. And they are scams. And again, those scams in terms of higher ed, in terms of these online courses Generally, the scams were being driven by their desire to pursue these federal, you know, Pell grants or these Stafford unsubsidized mm-hmm. loans. Now, I'm not saying you eliminate it yep. but when you get government subsidizing industries to this extent. Um, you're going to create a lot of corruption. What you have to do is lower prices so everyone can participate and make the make yeah. the institutions as small as possible. So the people so what gets produced and what gets consumed that there's the smallest take from the middle man or woman.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, I, it's a great, I, I, I am completely on board with the philosophy, um, you know, behind it. And I, and I, and I, uh, you know, I've, I've signed up to teach, you know, a class with you. I just haven't I haven't started it yet. I haven't, we haven't gotten there, but I'm really excited to do so because I like the idea of of the instructor owning the intellectual property and, you know, setting the the price and getting, you know, a majority of of the uh of the revenues, you know. It 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 makes sense, <laughs> you know, on uh, uh, so many levels, and it's exactly the opposite of what's happening right now. Now, in your uh your dissertation which you which you just defended in uh December, yep. I think, right? Um you uh your dissertation is basically about this. You know, it's a right, it's about the philosophy behind it, um and a kind of a um kind of a the story of, of putting together this company.
1: And you know again it's that story of um you know going to graduate school and seeing all the different things that were you know really wrong and exploitive about higher ed and then trying to come up with a solution um that would you know fit the needs of teachers and students. We're going to um, upload it to Amazon and, you know, charge like $2 for an electronic copy. And $3 and if you want an autographed copy. An autographed copy? Yeah. send you my Kindle and you can <laughs> autograph it or something, right? <laughs> something along that line. Yeah, but, you know, 2 two bucks. You know, if, if you look at a Plarno, yeah, what I'd, we really need, though, you know, in terms of there's the story of creating a Plarno, what we need to find is students who are going to, you know, student people who want to learn and who are absolutely disgusted with the system. You know, we are, we're good at recruiting faculty. Um, and we can do that easy. (laughs) But (laughs) now I want to find the group of people of students who are just so angry at how they're being exploited and for them to jump on board and, and start, uh, You know, whether it's taking classes, but also telling our faculty, hey, we want to learn about this, this, this and this and develop a course for us.
0: Yeah. I love that idea of the students come and they say, we want to learn about this and then you have the faculty or you find the faculty who will do that, that that makes a lot more sense than saying, you know, you have to take this, this or that. And you know, like you said earlier about uh, professors with 30 year old theories and, and things like that, it makes, it makes perfect, perfect sense. So it's a matter of finding those students and you can find them globally um, as well, which I think is one of the strengths of this. Um, going back to your dissertation real quick, um, you know, when people hear a dissertation, they think, you know, dense academic uh, work. Uh, but, you know, your dissertation is very readable. I mean, you you do quote Marx and Hart and Negri and Piketty, but you, you know, you you do that in order to give a good uh, background of what's going on. But it's it's very readable and very, it's an enjoyable read. And I think that um, uh, putting it up for a couple bucks on Amazon or, or offering it for free is, is a great idea. And I think people um, would should should download it. You should find it and and either pay for it or download it because it's really worth reading. And it gives, you know, you really do a good job of giving a substantial um, background of Oplarno and the philosophy behind it. And, and you do a good job of, of defining the problem, you know. And I think that a lot of faculty know the problem. Even tenured faculty, a lot of them are sympathetic to what's going on with adjuncts and with contingent faculty. Uh, you know, they're just in a, the privileged position of not having to do anything about it. Right. But they're sympathetic. But I think a lot of students don't know that yet. You know, they know it's expensive and they know that a lot of things that they're learning aren't quite uh, relevant to them. They've also been socialized. um, I mean, you know, think
1: about your 18 year old who spent the past Mm -hmm. 14 years in an institutional learning facility. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And I'm, you know, I'm quoting suicidal tendencies you know, tendencies, yep. directly, okay, I, you know, you think I'm crazy when I went to your schools, when I went to your churches, when I went to your institutional learning <laughs> facilities, um, and, and, and th- I don't think they know that there is a, a possible better, that there is a possible way out. I think the people that know that are fed up with it have dropped out. I mean, why would you tolerate if you're a human being? why would you tolerate the dehumanization that is occurring in the, in the school systems today? You don't, Mm -hmm. you want out. And, and the question is whether do you get out in a healthy way or do you get out in an unhealthy way? And I want to find, you know, um, uh, I'm 47, uh, sorry, 48 years old. Okay. Supposedly still young. Um, But what we really need is the voices of, of young people to start absolutely criticizing and tearing down intellectually um, the current higher ed institutional framework that we live under. Um, they need to get angry. That's the first, I think, step. You've got to get pissed off and say, I'm not going to take it anymore. And we're not there yet because to be blunt, the loans are still cheap. You know, and, and Yeah. If they weren't, we'd have a different debate. If they weren't available, we'd have a different debate. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we are being lulled into unconsciousness. Young people are. Um, And, and even the, you know, even the tenured faculty, I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people and they're like, really excited to work with a player now. Um, And they're excited. And and they're like, yeah, this is going to be great until I get my tenured, tenured position. And, um, I mean, it's not everybody, but it's a a chunk and, um, you know, 20%, maybe 2030. And it's like, guys, you know, that, that it's gone. Got to get angry. You got to, you got to produce a different world and a different mindset if you're going to survive.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think up until recently, there there were no real options for students. I, or not that they could see, you know, there is the, you, you do the thing, you go to school, that's what you do, right? You know, I, uh, you know, one of the, one of my side jobs, my side gigs is I, I, um, I tutor kids for the ACT and SAT, although I, disagree completely sure. with this test i you know it's a way to make some makes yep. some dough right and it's and i don't generally talk to kids a lot about like where they want to go or why they want to go there but there are a couple here and there i'll say you know have you you know considered not going to college, you know, there, you know, you could, you know, you could travel the world for a year or two on what you're going to pay in tuition at U of M, you know, University yep. of Michigan or whatever, you know, Like, but but there's no, it was either, I think for a long time it was either you, you go to college and that's your only option. And now you have these, um, like the Peter Thiels or Teals of the world who are like, Oh, drop out of school,
1: College is stupid. Yeah, I'll give you a hundred grand. I don't grand. think that's the right yeah, thing either. But,
0: I'll give you a hundred grand to drop out of school <clears throat> and start your own company. And you know? he's only
1: taking that's, 35 I mean, students or or 70 students. So right. is that that's not a solution. Yeah. You know, that's a it's
0: that's not a that's solution. an advertisement
1: for for Peter Theo. Yeah, you know Right, exactly,
0: and I think that once, like you said, once the crisis, once it gets to, and we're at a crisis point, I think, and it's just a matter of I think when people begin to realize it, students begin to realize that they're going to say, "Well, I want to learn something, I want to have credentials, I want to have the experience and and knowledge that I need to, to." do whatever it is I want to do. But college is too expensive and time consuming and dropping out is just stupid. Right. And I think that's what you're saying is that it needs to happen. They need to come in and say, this, this doesn't work. I don't want to do this. I need another option. And and that's, I think that where you're trying to head. And
1: And to be honest, I mean, it's really tough to compete against the, for right now, it's tough to compete against the sort of, how do I put this? the 18 to 23 year old journey that we've done in terms of creating a, a sort of a college, what it, what it represents. Okay. We're away mm-hmm. from our parents, you know, we're living in these swanky dorms. <laughs> um, you know, we're doing all sorts of, you know, what, you know, wonderful, proper mind expanding um, things, okay. And, you know, <laughs> right, taking some right. really cool uh-huh, classes uh-huh. <laughs> and at the end I've got a good degree and then I'll, yeah. you know, travel the world a little bit. Um, oh my God, I've got $200,000 yeah. yeah. worth of loans. Okay. Um, <laughs> right. and, and you know, it's, it's hard to compete against the love boat. Okay. And, and that yeah. is, you know, I'm going to be really cynical and say, that's what is being sold to the 18 to 22 year olds now okay Mm
0: -hmm. yeah and you and we were 18 once you know you 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 don't look ahead too far when you're 18 you know the loans are oh i'll just pay those later that's no big deal and i'll get a job and i'll pay those right and uh, yeah i think the parents are where is actually where the uh where the pressure point is you know i think when when parents start saying you know there's got to be a different way to do this i think that's they can be they might be good allies as well uh in something like this
1: yeah you know it's it's tricky i don't um uh, you know, when you, th- know. It's, it's really tricky. tricky because, <laughs> you know, tricky. parents are also, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're desperate to provide a relative amount of safety yeah. for their kids. So they're really risk adverse. Yeah. Okay. Um, yes, the problem is yeah. that when times are changing and when you're going through a major um, societal or cultural change, sometimes being conservative is the most risky uh, thing you can do. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're doing mm-hmm. is we're yep. seeing that. I mean, there, are, there are institutions in, in Vermont that are really working hard not to get involved in, you know, whether it's online engine or, um, expanding outside mm-hmm. the borders of the Northeast when their demograph when the demographics indicate here that the population of school age of, um, you know, 18 to t- 24 year olds is plummeting. Okay. Um, oh, you know, we're seeing a population decrease. So you can't, if you think you're going to be able to do the same thing over and over, um, when times are changing, mm-hmm. you're going to end up like, you know, Detroit during the 1970s and 80s, um, when they were, you know, adapting to the new thing, which was, you know, Japanese, you know, imported cars, and they're they're not going to see the um, mm-hmm. they're not going to see the change happening until it's too late. And I'm now thinking that it is too late for higher ed in america to change before things have gotten out of control
0: yeah you might you might be right yeah oh my gosh yeah so i i have a feeling we're gonna get a lot of feedback on this episode which is and, good which is what I'm i want more you than know willing to,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, i would love to um to have conversations with people um, offline about this subject. Yeah. Cause look, let's face it. I mean, I threw out a lot of stuff that is fairly controversial. Um, we both talked about mm-hmm. a lot of stuff that's fairly controversial and you know what, I think the time has come to recognize that, um, that, you know, it, the system's collapsed. It's collapsed. You know, it, it has, and it's not going to mm-hmm. change and it's exploitive. And, you know, I'm willing to have that debate. Look, I know I'm not going to get a tenure-track job after writing that dissertation. No institution <laughs> is going to right. ever hire right. me, okay? Um, you know, I may have to open a Five Guys franchise if a plan doesn't work out. Um, and that's just the way it is. But you know what? It's time to take a chance, and it's time to stand up and be counted. And I and everybody needs to do their own thing yeah. to, to push forward an agenda that is more... Um, that is more just and meets the needs of those 2 billion people on the planet who are desperate for education and aren't getting it because we're still sticking to the old system
0: you know people should uh go to if you go to the show notes at vwetpodcast.com i'll put uh, links to a plano i'll put links to your um to your dissertation so
1: thanks for thanks for being yeah, th- on and-
0: <laughs> thanks for being on the podcast yeah, really thank you very
1: much it. for having me it was a great conversation i look forward to many more i'm sitting in my room my mom and my dad came in
0: they pulled up a chair and they sat down they go talk to you, and I go, okay, what's the matter, and we go, me and your mom, we've noticed lately you've been having a lot of problems, and you've been going off for no reason, and we're afraid you're going to hurt somebody, and we're afraid you're going to hurt yourself, so we decided that it would be in your best interest if we put you
1: somewhere where you can get the help that you need, and I go, wait, what are you talking about, we decided my best interest, how do you know it, my best interest is. How can you say what my best interest is? What are you trying to say? I'm crazy? Well, I went to your
0: school. I went to your churches. I went to your institutional learning facilities. So how can you say I'm crazy? Say to God, let's take my